Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Welcome to Crawl Space. I'm Tim here today with Lance in the Crawl Space Studios in Wormtown. Lance, how are you? I'm doing very well. How are you today? It's cozy in here, Lance. I'm I'm feeling good. It feels good to be in here. It's a little chilly outside, but we got the sun sunlight. The rays are coming into our little black box. But you know what's not cozy, Lance, is the story that we're about to talk about tonight. It's going to make you uncomfortable, and it is really creepy. We have a wonderful guest on. Her name is Jennifer Amell. She's a writer and a filmmaker and has been looking into the case of Suitcase Jane Doe. Suitcase Jane Doe is an unidentified female. She is either of Eastern European or Hispanic descent, and she was found in an area called Downingtown, Pennsylvania, on a stretch of road that has what is the twin tunnels. It's actually three tunnels. One of them has a road that goes directly through a railroad overhead. And the most gruesome part of the whole thing is that half of her body, the torso and head, that was found in a suitcase by a fisherman. And then the other half, her legs, were found about 60 miles away in a public park uh, just, just in the woods. And the body parts were found in 1995. Yeah, July 1995, and then the legs were found six months later in January of 1996. But Jennifer goes through all of the facts in our interview. She is from the area, so it was a sort of a local legend that she says she was bored one day. And because she's a filmmaker, she just wanted a project, and she was always interested in cold cases. So this was just something that came up, and she, the more she started looking into it, not to mention the fact that the Twin Tunnels themselves just have a very eerie and ominous history. That was attractive to her, as well as this tragic story of this poor woman who has no name right now and no one to say, my sister or daughter or wife is missing. That's right. So the state of Pennsylvania and uh, and this this woman and her family can use everybody's help in spreading the word about this case. What I found most interesting, or one of the most interesting things, Lance, is that uh, there's 8,000 people in this downing town, and our guest, Jennifer, hadn't heard of it until she started looking into it. How is that, how is that something that happened only a little more than 20 years ago, and people aren't talking about it still? Yeah, it seemed to me when she started talking about the 
folklore of the tunnels, that was only when she discovered that one of those tales might actually have some roots in truth, and she started looking into it more, and that's when she discovered the suitcase Jane Doe case. Okay, so uh, before we play the interview, just want to tell you about Stitcher Premium. Check us out at stitcherpremium.com. You will... You may notice that a lot of the old Crawl Space episodes have been taken off the public feeds. What? Yeah, but they are behind, but now they are on Stitcher Premium, Lance. So this is an exclusive deal that you can get if you sign up for Stitcher Premium. And tell me, Tim, do you just get these Crawl Space archived episodes? No, I mean, that would be enough probably for the four ninety nine a month. And of course, you get the free month with code MMM, but... There's more? You get all the episodes of Missing Maura Murray ad-free, and you get our creator's commentary that we're doing on that show, which is a pretty interesting topic. How could I forget about the creator's commentary? We literally do like five a day here because we have such a back catalog, but this is a really unique chance to get a glimpse into our thought process current compared to our thought process then. Maybe we correct some details that we didn't get right or we just weren't aware of at the time, but it's uh, very similar to the way a filmmaker will do a director's commentary, and you get to hear us now and maybe get some fresh information based off of the old information. And, of course, that's the podcast Missing Maura Murray. If you don't listen to that, you should. Subscribe to it now. And also, we do another podcast called Empty Frames, Lance, and Season 2 is completely on Stitcher Premium. Empty Frame Season 2 is about significant moments in art history. We have Art Heist. We have the Banksy prank that he pulled at Sotheby's with the girl and the red balloon shredding. So we talk about all of these moments in history, art history, art uh, crime, art crime. And the first season was about the Isabella Stewart Gardner Museum heist. And season two is a little bit more variety, all available on Stitcher Premium. So are you telling me that you can only get our shows on Stitcher Premium? No, there's a ton of content, a lot of comedy albums. True Crime Garage has a great show on there and a lot more, Lance. And in case you're curious about Empty Frames, that will end up going to the public feeds six months after it airs first on Stitcher Premium. So you want to check it out there because you get all sorts of perks and other shows, too. But if you can wait, or you can't afford it right now, then you can wait until it comes out in a few months. Great. Great. So it's a win-win. Win-win. you win now or you win later. Boom. Okay, thanks for listening, everybody. And check out this case, Suitcase Jane Doe. And check out the YouTube video for some images. And Jennifer Amell's website is suitcasejanedoe.com. She's got a ton of information, images, and contact information for anybody with information about Suitcase Jane Doe. Follow our social pages because we will be posting about this. Instagram.com slash podcast. We're also on Facebook at Crawlspace Podcast and on Twitter at Crawlspace Pod. Welcome to Crawl Space. We are here today in the Crawl Space Studios talking with Jennifer Amell. Jennifer, how are you? I'm doing very well. How are you guys doing? We're doing great. We're doing great. We're here in Worcester. We call it Wormtown because of the uh, the giant worm that comes out during the floods, and it floods <laughs> often here in uh, in Worcester. You are in Pennsylvania, correct? Correct. Yes. Okay. So tell us a little bit about you and your background, and why are we talking to you? 
So I am a journalist and a filmmaker, and I sort of stumbled upon this cold case in my hometown of Downingtown, Pennsylvania. And Downingtown is about an hour southwest of Philadelphia, just to give you a good idea of where that's located. It's kind of rural. It's uh, bordered by Lancaster County, which is where all the Amish people come from. So our case comes from Downingtown. And it's located on this very interesting stretch of road alongside Valley Creek called the Twin Tunnels. So the Twin Tunnels are, uh, are very strange. They're actually three tunnels. One section of the tunnel uh, located on the right-hand side is where a road passes through. And there is a railroad track that goes right over it. And then in the middle tunnel, there's uh, the river that rushes through the tunnels. And on the third side, there's a bit of water that creeps by there, but it's mostly kind of dirt and debris under there. You're talking about stone tunnels that go sort of cut through. Is it, a, is it like a mountainous area or is it just the overpass for the railroad? It's just the overpass for the railroad. Okay. And there's only one workable or functioning tunnel that is essentially the road. Correct, yeah. There's not a lot that you can look at here and say that this is a comforting area. It doesn't seem very comforting. I wouldn't I wouldn't drive up to this tunnel and be, be like, oh, this is going to be really uh, fun to drive through. It, I, almost, I almost imagine the Willy Wonka um, chocolate river uh, boat ride. Yeah, based on the picture, it looks like it's one of those places that uh, a places that kids would dare other kids to go into at night and things like that. Is that are we right on that? You're absolutely correct. Um, yeah, there's actually um, a lot of local legends surrounding the Twin Tunnels. And I know in my own experience, um, I grew up in Downingtown, um, went to high school there, and it was kind of the place where you would actually dare each other to go at night. There's a, a whole process that you're supposed to follow. You're supposed to drive into the tunnels. And there, there is, it's technically a two-lane road in there, but it is quite narrow. But you're supposed to drive your car in there, turn your headlights off, um, turn your car off, and turn the static up and your radio up really loud. And apparently, if you're very quiet, you can hear the footsteps of a murderer or a ghost or something. Through the static? Yeah. And actually, um, I don't know if you guys have ever heard of it, but there's um, a series uh, for Weird Ohio, Weird Maryland, and there's one for Weird Pennsylvania. And they actually have uh, a couple legends written out by locals in there. Would you guys like to hear it? Let's start it off with that. Awesome. Okay, so this comes from Weird Pennsylvania, the local legends section, and it's by a guy called Matt Lake. So the section's called Dark Tunnels of Downingtown, which is ominous already. There's something about the Downingtown area that attracts weirdness. Not only is the area a supposed portal to hell, which is true, I've been there, but the twin tunnels on Downingtown's Valley Creek Road are also a source of strangeness. Within the tunnels, vertical shafts of light ascend to the top of the hill, allowing in air and light. It's these shafts that people tell tales about. Many of them involve hangings. One story goes that in the late 1800s or early 1900s, a young woman was run out of town for giving birth out of wedlock. Ashamed and desperate, she went to the top of the hill and, holding her baby, hanged herself. The child slipped from her fingers and fell to its death in the tunnel below. They say that if you walk into the tunnel at night, you can sometimes hear the baby crying or even see its ghostly apparition. The sound of a baby crying is probably one of where it shouldn't be. Is probably one of the more terrifying things that, that you can imagine. 
at least in my opinion. Have you experienced that, or uh, did you ever? Did you know anyone who did? No, nothing about a baby's cry, but I did actually drive in there at night. I was trying to freak out a cousin of mine, and we did the whole process, turned our headlights off, uh, the static on and stuff, and nothing really happened, so I pretended to stall the car. Oh, that's good. (laughs) But the car actually did stall, and there was a Jeep coming right at us, so I managed to slam on my emergency lights, and the Jeep sort of veered around us. We try to tell people. We had a... Pleasing Terrors, Mike on, and he was talking about the Ouija board and how he had it in the back of his car, and then he gets into a serious car accident, and they're just obvious things you shouldn't do. You shouldn't fake your car stalling in the portal to hell. It's just probably a rule of thumb that should be better communicated, I think. I agree. Definitely don't advocate for young kids going in there and putting themselves in danger. Let's get to why it's spooky in the first place, you know, besides the appearance of it. Usually these legends come from some truth, you know, some trace history. What is it about this area? Apparently uh, the Downingtown tunnels were the site of a particularly brutal murder. People say that a biker gang apparently murdered a woman and chopped her up and they put uh, all of her parts into a suitcase, which they then left in the tunnel. And for a long time, actually, I saw this with my own eyes. Somebody had spray painted a a picture of a suitcase on the wall of the tunnel with a little hand pointing out. And it had a little speech bubble saying, help me. I was bored one day and uh, did some research online to see if there were any cool uh, cold cases around my area. And it turns out that there actually is a very real case in... uh, 1995, and on July 11th, there was a fisherman. His name was Buck Plank, was his name. So he was sort of calling around the banks of uh, Valley Creek, and he stumbled upon a suitcase which contained the torso of a woman. Okay, so this happened July 11th, 1995. Correct, yeah. And he was a, he was a local guy? Local fisherman? Yeah, he actually worked for the fish hatchery. Oh, okay. And so you didn't know, you were from this town, but you didn't know about it until recently? Yeah, yeah, that's it's amazing. true. Only a few months ago I heard about it. And that seems to be common in the area when I talk to friends or people who live here. They've all heard the legends, but they've never actually heard of the, of the case that it's all based on. The scariest uh, legend of all. Right, the one that's got actual physical evidence to back it up. This is the reason you reached out to us in the first place. This is Suitcase Jane Doe, the unfortunate name that this unidentified female was given. You started SuitcaseJaneDoe.com as a project, right? I did, yeah. What is that project? It just baffled me that such a horrific crime could happen in a a nice suburban area and nobody knew about it or was interested in it. They were never able to identify the young woman and they had no suspects, and it sort of just disappeared off the radar. So um, in starting SuitcaseJaneDoe.com and uh, reaching out to you guys, I just hope to to get some um, attention for this case and maybe put some pressure on the state police to reopen it and, and potentially do some additional forensic testing. Let's go back to the discovery of the suitcase. Sure. It's a maroonish leather suitcase? It is. So he finds it, he opens it, and walk us through the, the grisly discovery that he made. Okay, I'll take you back to the day. So July 11th, 
it was pretty hot. It was 86 degrees, and the area was experiencing a heat wave at the time. So this guy, Buck Plank, was walking around looking at fish, or whatever you do for fish hatchery. <laughs> he came upon this green trash bag, and uh, his friend said that he, he thought there was a bunch of money in this suitcase. So he was curious. <laughs> he, uh, he opened the bag, and inside the green trash bag was a maroon suitcase. And the suitcase was seemed to be wrapped up with tape and wire. So allegedly he opened all of this. He, you know, kind of destroyed evidence and picked apart the tape and wire. And then inside the suitcase was a quilt, a bed sheet, which was kind of light blue, maybe a little peach color in there. And he found a garment bag within the quilt. And then in the garment bag itself was the torso of a young woman. So her her head was intact, um, her arms were intact, and I haven't found any explicit statement that both her hands were there, but I do know that they were able to gather some fingerprints. So her torso was there, was, her head was attached to her torso? Correct. And yeah. her arms were as well? Mm-hmm. Okay. Her legs were missing. And have they been found? Six months later, actually, the legs were found in a place called Core Creek Park. This is in Langhorne, Pennsylvania, which is uh, in Bucks County. And how far away is that from where the suitcase was found? That's just about an hour away if you take the turnpike. So it was found in sort of a similar area, minus the tunnels. It was trafficked, but it wasn't completely rural either. Okay. So you said six months later, that puts it around in January, right? Yeah, yeah, January 28th. How cold does it get in uh, the end of January? I would say, well, I guess in the 90s, it would probably be around the 20s, between 20s and 30s. Okay, so similar to here. Yeah. Okay. And was this discovery by somebody who just happened upon it, or were they actively searching for the legs? Yeah, it was a jogger, actually, that stumbled across it. it. They have a jogging path through this picnic area. And I suppose in January, the foliage would be pretty sparse. So they were able to see into the brush there. So I think the jogger found only one leg first and then immediately called the police, which I imagine I would do the same. I wouldn't really explore further. Now, was there anything going on with the, with the torso at the time? So the torso was obviously in police custody. The Chester County coroner did a brief autopsy on the torso. If we backtrack a bit, um, there, there was virtually no findings from this initial autopsy. They did a tox screen and discovered that uh, the victim had consumed one to two alcoholic beverages, but there were no other drugs in her system. There was no cause of death found, which I found to be super strange. So they weren't able to determine exactly what caused her death. Yeah, no manner, no mechanism. Okay. They did find a bruise under her right eye and two bruises on her back. Okay. Maybe indicate that she was fleeing her attacker or um, maybe a case of a domestic abuse. Was she wearing anything? Was the torso, uh, did it have any clothes on it? The torso was found with a blood-stained bra on only, but wrapped up in the quilt and bedsheet was a denim shirt that was kind of blood-stained. I do have a picture of the denim shirt, and it doesn't seem to be too much blood on it, 
she probably wasn't wearing it at the time of death or like it it wasn't soaking with her body or anything. What about the legs when they were found? What where how were they found? Were they in a suitcase too or wrapped up in some way? Well, it's a very interesting thing. Um they they were found with another green plastic trash bag which I'm not sure if they forensically matched uh the trash bags if they were the same brand or whatever, but it seems similar enough that you would probably connect it. The legs were found outside of the trash bag, um, and they believe that maybe animals had gotten to the bag and ripped it apart. But along with the legs, there were a few clothing items found as well. Um, There was a Mickey Mouse sweater. Um, It was a size 10. Uh, There was a denim jacket, uh, a denim skirt, and a small black jumper which I've heard uh, people comment that it, it looked to be child-sized, which could be very interesting if this woman was with a child. That is very interesting. And the, the Mickey and Minnie Mouse sweater makes me think of something that, not like a child would wear it, but something you might wear around a child. Also, what is a jumper? A jumper is um, a sweatshirt, like with a hood, like a hoodie. How long did they determine that the torso was there, and how long did they determine that the legs were there? Well, initially, the the DA said that the torso had been there for maybe one to two weeks, Um, but later on, reports surfaced that she was dead for a week. And um, since it was so warm out at the time, it probably accelerated some decomposition as well. So there's really no definite time of death. But the torso was dumped pretty soon after her death, within a week, it sounds. Yeah. Same thing with the legs? Well, it couldn't be, right? Because that was found six months later. So, yeah, what did they determine? When were they dropped? Um, there, There was no speculation on that. But I imagine if you were on the highway here, uh, you would make the torso drop first and then continue on and drop the legs after. Why Why are you trying to rationalize that behavior? <laughs> that is, uh, that is uh, not a rational uh, thing to do. But you know, doing this, like you start to think of the, you try the to, rationalization of why someone would do this. Yeah, or, you try uh, to put your method. head in, in that space. But um, this is really a confusing one because, as you said, you maybe you're traveling down the road. That's, I, I would say, pretty uncommon that uh, half of the body is found in one place and half is found in another place. In the same state. Uncommon, I would say. Yeah, actually kind of reminds me of the Black Dahlia yeah. a little bit because of uh, she's cut in half. So yeah, I'm, I'm perplexed by this one for sure. Not to go on a speculative tangent, if the legs were dumped after, let's say a few months after, and then they were discovered like a month after that, if they were dumped after, then the person goes back to this area and is at least familiar enough to know, or at least familiar enough to know this park in, uh, in Langhorn. Or... It, it happened immediately after, and it just wasn't discovered until six months later. How likely is that? I would say that's the most likely case. That it was dumped around the same time? You're, you're trying to rationalize, you know, a murder and dismemberment. Yeah. Which is difficult to do. Um, but I can't imagine that they would hang on to legs. That's true. Well, yeah, that's what I was trying to get at because uh, that seems pretty, also pretty uncommon. I don't understand what the purpose of that would be. How far off of a major turnpike or highway was this? The legs or the torso? Both. 
In Langhorne, it's actually pretty close to Route 76. Um, I would say a five to seven minute drive. That's a pretty major highway or artery. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And then from the torso, this is the interesting part because the Twin Tunnels is are really actually kind of difficult to find. They're not after off of a, a main thoroughfare. Like you would have to ha- have some knowledge of this area. You wouldn't really stumble upon it. Then again, if you're not from the area and you are just driving around back roads of Downingtown, you would think that this place would be very, very remote, but it really isn't. It, it's, it's a pretty highly trafficked road. What the hell, Jennifer? You really stumbled into something here. Has the body ever been identified? No. Okay. We'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsor. Hi, listeners. I'm Vanessa Richardson, host of the podcast Serial Killers. Like many of you, I'm fascinated by the darker side of humanity. What causes someone to develop such deadly desires and why they decide to act on them? For the past six years, I've been able to explore these curiosities weekly, tapping into the mental states of the world's most notorious killers, examining their backgrounds and habits, searching for answers. If you haven't had a chance to check out our show, there's truly no better time to dive in. With hundreds of episodes to binge and new ones released weekly, Serial Killers is the perfect podcast for any avid true crime fan. Follow Serial Killers on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. Hi, I'm Matt Harris. Seton Tucker and I host the podcast Impact of Influence, which for two years covered in-depth Alec Murdoch, who was eventually convicted in 2023 of murdering his wife, Maggie, and son, Paul. That story continues to evolve, and we will cover that. Plus, we will tell you stories of other true crime events that have happened in the South. Please join us on Impact of Influence. And give us a follow on the Impact of Influence Facebook page. Sometime in the early 80s, REO Speedwagon's airplane made an unannounced middle-of-the-night landing. This is my friend Kyle McLaughlin, the star of Twin Peaks. And he's telling me about how he discovered a real-life Twin Peaks in rural North Carolina, not far from where he filmed Blue Velvet. What was on the plane was copious amounts of drugs coming in from South America. Supposedly, Pablo Escobar went looking for other spots, quiet, out-of-the-way places to bring in his cocaine. My name is Joshua Davis, and I'm an investigative reporter. Kyle and I talk all the time about the strange things we come across, but nothing was quite as strange as what we found in Varnumtown, North Carolina. There's crooked cops, brother against brother. Everyone's got a story to tell, but does the truth even exist? Welcome to Varnumtown. Varnumtown is available wherever you listen to podcasts. From DNA testing to the Dixie Mafia, Crime Capsule brings you new stories of true crime in American history. I'm your host, Benjamin Morris. Join us for exclusive interviews with authors from Arcadia Publishing, writing the hottest books on the most chilling stories of our country's past. You can find us wherever you get your favorite podcasts or on evergreenpodcasts.com. Crime Capsule. History so interesting, it's criminal. Thanks to our sponsors, and now we're back to the program. 
So later on, they recreated the uh, upper part of the torso, the head area. Do you have any information on that? Yes, um, there is actually a sculptor that they commissioned in uh, November of 97 uh, to sort of pick out points on the skull and try to recreate it as, as much as possible in a three-dimensional form. Now, they did, they did report um, that she may have been of Eastern European descent or potentially Hispanic. But there, there's no certainty on that. The recreation the, that the sculptor did does have a Eastern European look to it. I think so. I also see the Hispanic part of it, too. Some people might be thinking a truck driver, the twin tunnels, that, that's not going to sustain, that's not going to fit a semi-truck. That's too, the, that's too small. The, the height on that is too low, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, a truck could not fit through there. In hearing that that area where the torso was found was is not like right off the highway, or and you might had to have known that area, it would make me think that this Jane Doe was uh, kind of local to that area, perhaps. But then when you say the legs were found about an hour away down the highway, it really throws things uh, off. So I kind of wonder: was she a local to the area, or was she perhaps? living a transient lifestyle and that's why she hasn't been identified you said there are fingerprints so what about dna though is it there's been no update on on that have has authorities investigators done anything with her dna that you know of they did enter her dna into the into interpol to get some international matches and obviously uh national databases and stuff there's been no matches no hits um same thing with the fingerprints. And they also took uh, dental impressions as well. Don't these, like a Jane Doe really confuses me because there is a there is an other end to this mystery. There's a missing woman somewhere out there. Some family is wondering where their sister or daughter or is. And then you, you have a Doe and you can't find that match. It's like a puzzle, puzzle pieces that, uh, that aren't ever going to connect or, you know, need to be brought together somehow. And so many elements go into something like this. Wherever this young woman came from could have been a, a broken community, maybe even a sex worker. You know, it, it, there's a lot of elements that go into it that someone like this, unfortunately, just gets forgotten about. And that's, that's, that's terrible. Yeah, it is. It's it's super tragic, too. Another thing to consider is that if she was a person of color, Hispanic, um, she could have been undocumented. Or she could have had a community in the area who were also undocumented and felt fear about coming forward to the police with any information. What did they estimate that her age was? They estimated uh, 25 to 35. 25 to 35, and that was in 95, so she would be around 55 now? Yeah. Is there a large population of undocumented immigrants in that area? There actually was at the time. Um, there's a, a town, i say like 30 minutes away, called Newtown Square and Kennett Square, and there's a huge mushroom farm there. It's pretty popular in the area. So they had a lot of migrant farmers come work there, and there was a, a large... Hispanic community who lived, who lived there. And I heard from a local guy who said that the Hispanic community used to set up sort of camps alongside the river. So it's important to understand that Valley Creek is an offshoot of a larger river um, called the Brandywine River. Oftentimes they would drive their trucks like right to the riverbank and sort of camp out and wash their vehicles and stuff. Potentially she could have been part of these riverside communities. Do you know if any of those camps were properly or thoroughly investigated? I do not know. 
I feel like it would be really easy to match a missing person if they were in that area a lot or had roots in that area. There's a missing woman. You say Philadelphia is, is about an hour drive away. So what's the population of sex workers in Philadelphia, I guess, right? It's an urban area. I would imagine there's probably a good amount. Absolutely. From Philadelphia out into uh, the Pottstown, Reading area, there's a huge drug trafficking problem there. Oh, interesting. Could be linked to that as well. How did they identify that these legs matched the torso? And how were the legs removed in the first place? Once they did collect the legs six months after finding the torso, they had sort of a, a joint autopsy between... So we, we've got two counties involved right now, which makes things all more difficult. So we've got Chester County, where the torso was found, and then Bucks County, where the legs were found. A bunch of uh, forensic anthropologists and detectives met at the Phoenixville Hospital Morgue to do this um, autopsy on both the legs and the torso. So they were able to match cut marks on the hip bone or like the socket to the ball joint on the legs. I think there was about 15 different cut marks that were matched up. Now, they did try to um, send DNA over to this place called Cellmark Diagnostic Labs in Maryland to try to make a DNA match between the legs and torso. But you've got to remember this was 95 and and DNA uh, technology was not what it is today. So they were unable to make a DNA match between the legs and torso because the legs were so deteriorated. But they determined it just because they fit together. Correct. Okay. Yeah. And chances are, if you have a torso with no legs and legs with no torso, they're probably... It's probably related. Hmm. Probably related. But there's actually a couple interesting things about the legs. So they discovered the right leg first, which they only uh, found the hip to the foot, but there was no skin from the upper thigh to the ankle. And investigators think that this was due to some animal activity, that maybe they took some of the flesh off, and maybe it wasn't a deliberate thing by the by the murderer or anything. And then uh, in a shallow grave, they found the left leg, and this was just the thigh to the knee. There was no shin or foot ever found. So there is currently a body part out there that has never been found, and I'm sure they searched that area thoroughly and, and checked for further uh, shallow graves. Yeah, um, they had quite a comprehensive search. They had uh, helicopters fly over the area and to do some thermal imaging to see if there was any other graves around, but they never found it. Now, can we glean anything about the killer from the suitcase? I'm not sure. I mean, my intuition is that she was probably the victim. I mean, was probably transient and it could have been her own suitcase. If she was traveling with a trucker or staying with some nefarious fellow in the area, perhaps he put her her torso in her own suitcase and then dumped all of her clothes that she kept in the suitcase with her legs. That, that would make the most sense to me. But then again, you have um, items that the torso was wrapped around that you would find in a home. So I'm banking on the fact that she was killed in a home that you had access to a quilt and uh, tape and wire and that sort of thing. And we kind of speculated earlier that perhaps this this could have been a a truck driver. That profile may match because some of the facts, um, but it's not like 
someone's like using a buck knife in their in their cab, like in the cab of a truck. That probably would have had to have happened at some kind of stationary spot because that would get very bloody. Murder takes place somewhere else, a motel, a home or something, and it's taken place by somebody who is familiar with the area, possibly a truck driver. But we know that the truck that he's driving for work can't make it down the road by the twin tunnels. So then he'd have to get into a car of his own or her car and dispose of the body in two different locations. Yeah, yeah. So I, it's, it does sound like the killer is is somewhat local. What we've learned about profiling and, and dropping bodies and things like that, this uh, killer probably isn't a neighbor to where these drop sites were, but probably pretty close. Probably has passed through there a couple of times and is familiar with it at the very least. I would say maybe in between those two spots, yeah. you could probably draw a circle. Maybe you can help me with this. There's nothing that is on her torso other than the fact that she's been severed. There's nothing there that indicates a way she died. A bruise under her eye and a bruise on her back. Other than the fact that her her, her bottom half has been severed, they don't know how she died. Was there anything else? I think you had mentioned before in previous emails that there was some, some cuts on the leg, but were those more superficial cuts? No, not that I found, which makes this even more mysterious than it already is. At least there's no information released publicly about any other wounds. Um, but they, the coroner did mention that there were no sign of blunt trauma, no sign of sexual assault. Really? That's, that's shocking to me. That is really shocking to me. What about around her wrists or lone ankle that exists? Were there any marks of being tied up or anything like that? No, not mentioned. In fact, they don't really mention that the arms and hands were there. The only reason I say they were is because they took fingerprints. Okay, so there could there could have been some perhaps sign uh, of restraint. Yeah, yeah, and, I, and this is speculation zone, but yeah, there could be signs of, of that because they did mention it and have been kind of mum on the arms in particular, and the ankle wouldn't have skin uh, on the lone existing ankle. Didn't really have much skin to be able to tell, I believe. Right? Is that is that accurate? Yeah. Okay, so uh, I guess what I'm getting at, long way of getting, maybe perhaps she uh, bled to death from these cuts. Oh, that's interesting. Would they have been able to tell if she bled to death with an autopsy? I think so, right? I don't know. <laughs> I thought what you were getting at is that they had this piece of information because you said that they're probably keeping this quiet, and it's a detail that they know that only the killer would know, so they don't mention the hands. I, that is what I'm getting at. Yeah, yeah. And if there's like if there's like rope marks there, maybe at some point they could release information Maybe maybe them not releasing information, saying we don't know how she died and there was nothing else except for some small uh, blade marks on her leg. Maybe they're hoping somebody comes forward with some other piece of information and they can say, how did you know that? Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's got to be some information that they're holding back about this. Definitely um, for a cause of death. I mean, even if there's no official cause of death, they might have an idea about how she died. And, and that would be something only the killer would know. I am really interested in the cut marks on her leg. You'd written there's 15 cut marks with a small, sharp blade. All cuts were consistent and matched. So what that means is that they were all the same sharp blade on one leg. Right. Pardon the gruesomeness of this question and uh, probably answer. How did they detach the leg with a small blade? Are we saying that they cut the tendons and cartilage and took the and skin, obviously, and just detached the uh, leg from the hip bone? Much like you would um, sort of part a chicken. So it wasn't like they cut through the bone? 
No, no. It was just the muscle, sinew, and skin that they cut through with the knife and then sort of yanked the leg out of the socket. I'm going to go ahead and say that this is not the only time this killer has acted. I think that is a very safe bet. Yeah, yeah. That takes quite a stomach or the stomach of a hunter, an experienced hunter. So you said that this would take the stomach of an experienced hunter, but then I'm left with wondering why an experienced hunter would use a small sharp blade to do this and not a large blade or a saw. What kind of knives do hunters use? I, I mean, I'm not a hunter, so I don't know. Like uh, like some kind of buck knife would constitute as a small blade, I think. I think you can do whatever you need to do as a hunter after the, the game has been caught uh, with a knife like that. Oh, probably. You know, it probably enables you to be more precise in your in whatever you do with something after you've hunted and killed it. I would go ahead and say that if this person wanted to cut her with a saw, they would have because they clearly had the time to do so. This was a deliberate choice in weapon to cut that leg. It wasn't like they were in a rush and needed to do it for any reason. Yeah, that's true. Um, yeah, I don't think they meant any kind of like pocket knife or scalpel or anything. Um, I definitely think a buck knife would do the job. But the thing that's not consistent with a hunter who would know the area, like I I hike a lot and there are tons of rural places in the area. If you didn't want a body to be found, you would know these places as a fisherman or a hunter and you would dispose of it not in these two areas. So either they didn't know the area that well or they did want the body to be found eventually. Okay, okay. Yeah, we could be onto something there. That's a brutal, brutal act. Why yeah. would you even rip the body in half in the first place if you wanted it to be found? Yeah, and th- there's definitely some psychology on where uh, bodies are dropped and I- if the thought is that they wanted the body to be found, the thought is also that this person probably knew the person because psychologically speaking as we heard from uh randy patrick lance killers who know their victims do want them to be found a lot of times put them in places where they know they will be found i would say that is one check mark for this person knew her killer and the other interesting thing that i've read a bit about um criminal psychology is that if they know the victim they'll go to great lengths to cover up the face And if you remember, the torso was wrapped in so many layers. It was a trash bag. It was a suitcase. It was a quilt. It was a sheet, like, in a garment bag. Yeah, and wire and tape. They went to great lengths to hide her face. But not as much her legs. Yeah, I would say the cutting and ripping legs off is not a very personal act. I would say that's, that's a, a check mark. That's a brutal act in, in the in the side that this victim and and killer didn't know each other. So I, I am very confused by this whole thing. Well, maybe we are now in the camp of there is more than one killer. It's possible. That's what I was going to say. <laughs> how the hell? How the hell is a, a? I don't know if I could rip a leg out of someone's socket. Uh, maybe I, I really have no idea on the anatomy. If you cut cartilage and ligaments and muscle and things like that, how easy it would be. I never thought about it. For God's sake, you have sake. to completely detach yourself. Yeah, from any sort of human empathy. So if it was, if the guy, I'm assuming it's a man, which is safe bet. Not correct, safe bet. If the person who killed her, if it was an accidental death, and then they called their buddy a hunter or someone who has the personality who would be able to cut up a body. Maybe they're like, hey, man, this thing happened. I need you to come help me out. 
the friend uh, dismembers the body and then they separate. Like maybe the, the guy who knew her wrapped up the torso and the guy who didn't know her yeah. disposed of the legs. I, that's, I think that's a fun thought experiment, but I would say that there is zero chance this was an accidental death. Really? Why do you say that? Because the brutality of everything. I mean, maybe there's some like weird situation where someone who knew her and she died in their presence and then he calls their friend and then leaves and then this person does whatever they want. And we we hear about this all the time. In fact, we we even kind of talked about uh, a phrase for it. The uh, I know you did last summer, corollary. When something horrible happens when you're with your friends and you panic and try to cover something up and then lie about it and hide it forever. I just don't think that's very realistic. I think that movie came out at a time when people who are talking about this uh, saw it and said, yeah, that's what I would do if that ever happened to me and things like that. I, I just think it's a trope that isn't as uh, active out there in reality than it is in people's imaginations. I think you're right. I think if multiple people are involved, they wouldn't be able to keep it mum for all these years. I will say that I, I only disagree with one part of that argument is that the brutality comes after the death because a determined nothing as to how she died. So there was actually no brutality. Uh, disagree. There was a black and blue under her eye. So there's some brutality while she's right. alive. But that's not going to be something that kills somebody. And, and honestly, she could have she could have fallen. Well, I, I'm, I'm wouldn't just, we I'm know just, that? I'm just, if being, that was the, the, I'm just being devil's advocate if for If she for fell and part. died accidentally, we would know that from the autopsy. Oh, I didn't say she died by the fall. I'm just saying maybe that injury took place somewhere else and not by somebody. You just don't know. I'm also not entirely sure how uh, substantive the toxicology screen was. Like, I know they only test for an, like a certain number of chemicals when they do a tox screen. And maybe later on they would do additional tox screens too if they had a hunch on if she was poisoned or it was a drug overdose or anything like that. But I also, I find it interesting about the rumors surrounding this that eventually turned into the legend that it was indeed a biker gang. But since the the left foot is missing and potentially a hand, we're not sure, if this was indeed drug-related or gang-related, oftentimes they would remove a body part to then prove to somebody else that this person was dead or as a threat. Is that the only thing, the only reason why people speculate it might have been some kind of gang? Or why the biker part of this gang? The Hells Angels are pretty active around this area. I think that's the only reason why people speculated that it might have been a gang, because it's like those are the only people that you would assume would be capable of such a thing. They're currently still active in that area? Not as much as they were, but yeah. Yeah, they're still in the area. Active as as a, a a violent gang, or active as some a, a group of guys who drive motorcycles around. Uh, mostly a group of guys who drive motorcycles around. But um, I mentioned before the drug trafficking. Yeah. Um, it's a huge problem around here. Mostly in Reading. There's a the Hell's Angels. You're talking like the an official like chapter of the Hell's Angels network. Yeah. Oh, okay. Let me just add that uh, maybe this is the obvious, but uh, not the easiest method of transport to drop a uh, hundred pound piece of human. I can't see that you would really attach a torso to the back of your bike. Yeah, seems pretty conspicuous. Any take on the wire? The suitcase was bound by a wire? Yeah, there, there's no uh, reports on what kind of wire it was. 
Um, but that's an interesting thing, like not something you would really have on hand. It made me think about that with the motorcycle. You need to attach it somehow to your motorcycle. Maybe the wire was some way to attach it to the motorcycle as well as keep the, you know, keep the actual suitcase shut. This case, Jennifer, um, seems like it needs an an active spin. I think there are answers here that can be uncovered. I just think that it needs to be brought into the light a little bit more, and there needs to be a more active investigation associated with this case. So I, I applaud you for doing what you're doing, and I think we should speak with you again, and we should keep this going, and we should really try to get some answers from law enforcement on this, because I think this is something that could be moved forward with a little modern spin. I agree. Yeah, I think um, I think there's a lot of additional forensic testing that you could do, especially now with the uh, Ancestry.com and everybody's sort of sending their DNA and uh, the chances of getting a familial match are, are pretty great. Yes, that, that is what I'm getting at. And I find it really hard to believe there is absolutely none of the killer's DNA found anywhere on that. The blanket, the wire, the suitcase, the, the legs is... Uh, I feel like I don't know anything about this, but I feel like there's zero percent chances. There's no. There's not killer. like a hair follicle Come on. There or something. Yeah. Yeah. Where is the body now? Is it still at the corners? I believe the torso is still housed at the corner, um, but the legs were strangely incinerated right after the autopsy. Oh come on. Do you think that this would have been handled differently if she wasn't determined to probably be of Eastern European or Hispanic descent? Absolutely. Absolutely. Especially because she didn't have a family or a community advocating for her. There's no real pressure put on the police to solve this thing. And I'm not saying that they didn't try, didn't put their resources to work at the time, but this will definitely fall by the wayside if there there is no advocate for her. Yeah, I think they probably tried to identify her first and they never really got to that step because if they had it it would have shed some light on who her killer was it's not like we're talking about the senator's daughter being kept in a basement this is someone who can fall by the wayside is that what keeps you invested in this yeah i think it's i think it's the saddest story i ever heard that a person who had a whole life who had a family can just disappear like this and be murdered so brutally, and she has no story to tell. So my goal, short of, you know, solving the whole case and finding a suspect and everything, would just be to identify her and bring her home to her family. was boring hello then judy discovered chumbacasino.com it's my little escape now judy's the life of the party oh baby mama's bringing home the bacon whoa take it easy judy the chumba life is for everybody so go to chumbacasino.com and play over a hundred casino style games join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes chumbacasino.com no purchase necessary void where prohibited by law 18 plus terms and conditions apply see website for details